0: You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. Today, we are in the fourth and final week of a series that we called Living Large. And this is a series about what the Bible has to say about generosity. And generosity, if you don't know, is actually one of our 10 values as a church. It's one of the 10 things that we like to say make us uniquely us. It really is part of our DNA as a church. And we say it this way, that generosity is our privilege. In other words, that we don't have to give, we get to give. That we give with a big smile on our face because generosity is our privilege. And you need to know this is who we are. Like this is our DNA. This is who we are as a church. Generosity is our privilege. And our theme verse For this series has been in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, in the message paraphrase where it says, and I love this, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. See, this verse, it says that being generous is actually the key to unlocking a large life. And the truth is, this message is so opposite from culture. Our culture and society says, no, no, no. Like a large life is about what you can get. But the Bible says a totally different message is that a large life is actually marked by what you give. And so I want you to know right from the jump today that my goal today is not to impress you, that my goal today is not to inspire you, that today really my goal and my assignment is to practically help you. Today, I just want to help you. In fact, from day one, when we started our church a little over five years ago, I dreamed to be in a church where what we did on Sunday actually affected our Mondays, that what we did in here actually affected everything out there, that we just didn't come and go through some religious motions. That's been a passion of our church from day one. I like to call it practical Christianity. I love the fact that following Jesus affects every single area of my life that literally the word of God, it speaks to every area of our life, that that it just doesn't affect one hour, some one compartmentalized hour on a Sunday, but if we let it, it can transform our entire life. And so I need you to know right from the jump that I have no desire today to play church. I have no desire to go through some religious motions, to put on a church mask and to be able to sing some Christian karaoke and to be able to hear a message and then walk out of this place the same way that we walked in. No, I came to experience the presence of God and to be changed by the power of God and to be transformed by the word of God so that whenever I do walk out of this place, I'm a little bit different than how I walked in, looking more like Jesus. Come on, is anybody with me? Is anybody like, I don't wanna go through motions today? I want you to know that's what we're about here is that we want everything that we do on our Sunday to affect our Monday And so today, if you are taking notes, which I hope you are, uh, I want to talk today over this subject, the three levels of biblical generosity: Three levels of biblical generosity. I want to close out this series and kind of kind of go into this legacy Sunday, and I want to break down the three levels of biblical generosity. And I want to start by reading this awesome story that's found in John chapter 12. And here's what it says in verse one. It says, six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. And then it adds this little detail. The man he had raised from the dead, and in my margin, I wrote NBD. Like, no big deal. Uh, Jesus just raised the dude from the dead. And then it says in verse two, a dinner was prepared in Jesus's honor. And Martha served, and Lazarus, the guy who Jesus raised from the dead, was among those who ate with him. And then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot the disciple who would soon betray him said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It's like he says, what a waste. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. So Judas gets all like, like religious Ricky on everybody and just tries to be spiritual Sammy there and said, we should have given that money to the poor. But then the Bible just straight up like, it's, it's cool. It says, not that he cared for the poor, He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. And Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So incredible story. And when I read this story, I ask a lot of questions when I read the Bible. And one of the biggest questions that I ask that I'll ask you when I read this story, is why in the world did she give such an extravagant gift? Like what triggered Mary to be able to give such an extravagant gift that the Bible says was worth one year's salary? What would cause her to give that type of gift? Well, it's really important for you to see that these verses mention that Jesus raised this guy named Lazarus from the dead. And if you want to go read that story, you can actually find that in the chapter before. In John chapter 11, it breaks down this whole story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. We don't have time to read it, but I do want you to hear the very first two verses, and I wanna make sure that you pay attention to the detail that is in here. In John chapter 11, verse one and two, it says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And just to be clear, this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. So what this says is that Mary is the sister of Lazarus, this guy who Jesus raised from the dead. So why would she give such an extravagant gift? Here's why. Because she was so grateful. She gave such a big gift because she was so grateful because her brother, who was dead, was now alive. So I want you to put yourself in her shoes. Could you imagine somebody that you loved that was dead, that you thought was lost and gone forever, that you thought that you would never see again on this side of eternity, and then all of a sudden, miraculously, because of the power of Jesus, bam, they were raised back to life. By the way, I want you to notice this. That's why we invite people to church. I want you to know that that's why we encourage you to live for God when you're at your job. That everywhere you go, that you're trying to honor God by how you live your life. And here's why. Because that's what happens every single time someone decides to follow Jesus. And I just want to remind you that if you are here and you are a believer if you've made the decision to follow Jesus, if you have made the decision to receive the free gift of grace and to, in return, give him your life, I wanna remind you that this is your story, that you have been raised from the dead. Like, this is your story. It is telling your story. You have been raised from the dead. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse four and five, it says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much That even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. I want you to get this, that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, you have experienced the same exact thing that they experienced in John chapter 11 and John chapter 12. Someone that was dead is now alive. So what should our response to be to that? Well, what was Mary's response? She was grateful. To the point that where she had to respond to that gratefulness with generosity. Now, we've been talking all series that generosity, it really has to do with your heart way more than it has to do with your money. That generosity, it ultimately reflects the status of your heart. And here's what I've learned, church. A grateful heart is a generous heart. That whenever your heart is grateful and you're so thankful for what God has done in your life, that the only natural response is generosity, let me say it this way, that gratefulness is the foundation of true generosity. Now, in this series, we have learned that this book, that the Bible, has a whole lot to say about giving and generosity, that literally cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, Old Testament and New, front to back, this this book talks a ton about generosity, in fact, so much so that there are some biblical scholars that believe that the entire theme of the Bible is giving, that a lot of people think that the entire theme is love, but there's certain scholars that say, no, no, no. If you actually see, there's this thread cover to cover that where everything is about generosity. And as I have studied this book cover to cover, I consistently see three levels of biblical generosity. Generosity. And I want to share those with you. I think it will be helpful. And I'm actually going to use these steps as an illustration because the very first level, write this down, of generosity, of biblical generosity, is called tithing. Now, we've actually talked about this in this series a lot. In fact, in week two of this series, I did a whole message that was entitled, What in the World is Tithing? And so if you missed that message, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. Uh, We have an audio podcast on both Apple and Spotify, and then you can watch that message on our YouTube channel. But just just for a refresher, here's a simple definition. Tithing is returning. It's not giving, it's returning the first 10% of your income back to God through your local church, which allows him to bless the rest. That's what tithing is. Let me say it this way that tithing is actually trusting that God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100%. Tithing, here's what it really is, is trusting that God and God alone is your provider, that you're not your provider, that your business and your company is not your provider, that your retirement is not your provider, but that God and God alone, and in my personal opinion, I believe it is one of the best most practical ways to put God first in your life, not because the church needs money, but because you need to be obedient. And I think that that's really important. Now, research actually says that, that, mo- that five to 7% of Christians actually make it to this level. I think a lot of times we think that this level is really the third level, but the Bible is very clear that, no, this is, this is really the, that first level. And for some of you, this is the step that you need to take. Some of you, God has been speaking to you and and it doesn't, I like, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just trying to get you to hear God. But here's what I also believe. I believe that there are certain people that maybe you've been here over the last few weeks and that some of you, you want to go to that level. Like God has been speaking to you in very real ways and you want to do that. Maybe it's you're hearing about tithing for the very first time and you're, or you're maybe hearing it taught in the way of like, here's what the Bible actually says about this maybe for the very first time and you want to go to that level, but you're in such a bad financial situation that right now you don't even see how it's possible. Like you want to, but your finances are so out of order that there's no way that you can tithe 10%, like you want to, you just can't. And if that's you, I wanna talk to you just for a moment because I want you to see something that's very important. It is not a heart issue. If that's you, please hear me. I know that is not a heart issue. It is a stewardship issue. And I want you to remember, because we defined this in week one, that stewardship is simply taking care of something that is not yours. And I wanna remind you that this is life. Because in Psalm 24, verse one, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. So everything belongs to God. Let me say it this way, that God is the owner and we are the stewards. And so life, everything about life is about stewardship. And here's the truth. Generosity, I've learned this, generosity and stewardship go hand in hand. Like they're connected. You cannot be truly generous without being a good steward. In fact, let me say it this way, that generosity without stewardship is irresponsible. So hear me loud and clear. I am not asking you to be generous without stewardship. I'm not asking you to be irresponsible with your generosity. I'm asking you to be able to say, hey, I want you to know that generosity without stewardship is actually irresponsible, Like before you tithe to the house of God, you need to get your house in order. You need to get your personal finances in order, you need to create a budget or tear up credit cards, aggressively pay off debt. Listen, I know that you're supposed to pay off those student loans in 2064, I get it. But you don't have to wait that long, people, you don't. You may need to cut some stuff out of your life that you don't need, and let's just be real today in church. There's a lot of stuff in our lives that we don't need. Like, you may want it, you may like it, but you don't necessarily need it. Like, you don't need Netflix, Prime, Hulu, Disney Plus, Max, and Peacock. Like, you don't need NFL Sunday ticket. I know you may want it but you don't need it. You don't need Starbucks every day. Now, I'm not saying you don't need coffee every day. Like that would be heresy. I'm not saying that. But you may need for a season just to bite the bullet and rock some great value K-cups. You know what I'm saying? You just don't need the $5 cup of coffee every day. Like you don't need that beverage every single time that you eat out. You're looking at a man that has saved thousands of dollars by drinking water with lemon every single place that I go whenever I go out to eat. It'll save you a lot of money. It really will. You don't need to get your hair done every other week. Just rock your natural hair color just for a little bit. Let those roots show, let them go, you know? If you don't like it, he's not the one, ladies, just so you know. But I want you to hear this. I really felt like I heard from God this week as I was preparing for some of you that you need to hear this. You don't need to go into more debt to buy Christmas presents this year. You don't. I'm not saying don't be generous. I'm not saying don't do something for Christmas. But I am saying you don't have to go into more debt to be able to get Christmas presents this year. Instead, get creative. Make something. Write some heartfelt letters of encouragement. Give away a service. Clean their house. Detail their car. Babysit their kids, cut their grass. The truth is, is that for some of you to even be able to get to that level of generosity, it's gonna take making some changes to actually set yourself up for that level of generosity. And I'm just gonna tell you, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to require faith. It's, It's going to take some intentionality. It's gonna have to take some discipline, and some changing your lifestyle, but like Isaiah chapter 32, verse eight says, but generous people plan to do what is generous as they stand firm in their generosity, meaning that I'm generous no matter what because this is who I am and this is who God has called me to be. And so yeah, let a recession come. Yeah, let taxes go up. Yeah, let all the instability happen, but I have planned to be generous. And so I've disciplined myself. Why? Because generosity and stewardship, they go hand in hand. And maybe you need help doing this. Maybe you don't know how to be a good steward. Nobody's ever taught you how to get your finances in order or how to create a budget. And if that's you, listen to me, we want to help you. In fact, next semester, We're gonna offer a brand new course that we're calling Financial Literacy. And here's the description of that course that you can sign up for right now on our website. As followers of Jesus, it is our aim to emulate his teachings and lead lives of generosity and stewardship. This course aims to equip you with the necessary knowledge and practical tools to successfully manage your finances, including budgeting, financial planning, and saving habits. By doing so, you will be able to fulfill God's call to live a life of generosity. So listen to me. If you're here and you've been listening to some of this stuff and God is stirring some things on the inside of you and you're like, I want to do that so bad. I just don't even see how. Let me tell you, let me me take any pressure that's on you off of you and say, before you worry about generosity, will you focus on stewardship? And then we can talk about being generous. So we want to help you. So make sure, have the courage right now, go online and go ahead and sign up for that course. So that's the first level of biblical generosity is tithing. Here's the second level. Ready? It's offerings. It's offerings. And uh, here's here's the definition of offerings. An offering is when God speaks to you. That's very important. It's when God speaks to you to give over and above your tithe. So today, we at Legacy Sunday, and I'll tell you more about this at the very end, we're going to receive our legacy offering. That's this level of generosity. It's over and above our tithe. But here's what I want you to make sure that you notice. This is so important, is that it's when God speaks to you. In other words, it's not when you're pressured it's not when you're manipulated. It's not when somebody like tugs on your emotional heartstrings so that right here, right now, come on, you gotta give. That's not what it should be when God speaks to you, so much so that this is my favorite verse on generosity in the entire Bible. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse seven, it says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. This, by the way, is why we've told you for six weeks that legacy offering is coming, so that you could pray and be prepared and decide in advance of what we're doing, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. I like to say it this way. God loves it when you give with a big old smile on your face and no regret in your heart. You just love it. God loves a cheerful giver. So, three levels of biblical generosity. You have tithing. You have offering. And then the third level is extravagant offerings. One of my friends calls this painful offerings. (laughs) And um, here's the definition. It's the same as what it was before, but just a couple words change an extravagant offering is when God speaks to you to give extravagantly over and above your tithe now the bible cover to cover has so many examples of extravagant offerings and extravagant generosity let me share some of them for you uh, the first is in first chronicles chapter 29 uh, verse 3 and 4 and this is david talking this is the man that the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And listen to what he, what he does in verse three and says, And now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, to the house of God, because of my devotion, I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I have already collected for the holy temple. So not only did he use his leadership gift and, and his leadership in that country to be able to raise funds for this, he said, I got skin in the game and I'm actually giving a lot of my personal finances in it so far that it says this, I am donating more than 112 tons of gold and 262 tons of refined silver. Now, I think we all see that and we're like, that feels like a lot. But I don't know if you can compute that in, I I can't, I had to look it up. And get this, he gave the equivalent of $2.1 billion in this offering to build a temple that he never sees. In fact, his son is the one that built that temple. That's an extravagant offering. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, when his son became the king, it's really important for you to know that the normal tradition of the time is that they would sacrifice one burnt offering. So they would just sacrifice one. That was the normal tradition but listen to what Solomon does in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 6. There in front of the tabernacle, Solomon went up to the bronze altar in the Lord's presence and sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings on it. I, I, my brain just goes places. I'm like, how long did that take? Homeboy was just barbecuing things for like three weeks. It's just in there. I don't know why it just pops in my head. But the normal was one, Solomon said, no, 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 God led me to do a thousand. I'm doing that. Now, now get this. This is a little fun fact for you. If you keep reading in your Bible, the very next verse is the verse where God asks Solomon, what do you want? Ask me for anything and I will give it to you. Now, is that a coincidence? Maybe. I really don't know. But could it be? that his extravagant offering showed God that he could trust him with that question? If giving really is about the heart, I don't think that had to do with his generosity. I think it had to do with his heart. I think when he did that, God said, there's a heart that I can trust with that question. And so I can do that. Here's another extravagant offering that maybe you wouldn't think of naturally. In Luke chapter 21, verse one through four, it says, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched the rich people dropping their gifts, their offerings in the collection box? Wouldn't that be awkward? Was it? You know, like I just pictured him <laughs> saying that. I'm sorry, I'm going a little bit this service. I didn't say none of that in the first, okay? Um, then it says, verse two, listen. It says, then a poor widow came by and dropped in just two, small coins, not very much in the grand scheme of things. But listen to what Jesus' response. He says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, as poor as she is, has given everything that she has. See, Jesus says in this story that this is an extravagant offering because she gave everything that she had. That's because an extravagant offering isn't always about the amount, it's about the heart behind the amount. And so finally, one last example is what we read earlier in John chapter 12. When Mary poured perfume on Jesus's feet that was worth one year of salary, how many of you know that that would be a very extravagant offering? In fact, the average salary in the United States in 2023, right now, is $59,428. And it would be her saying, well, I'm just giving that to Jesus. That would be an extravagant offering for every single one of us. Now, here's something that's really cool. A lot of times, the same story is in the Bible multiple places. And this story is actually found in two other books of the Bible. It's found in Matthew chapter 26, In Mark chapter 14. Now, what's really cool is that when you start to learn that there's the same story in different parts, you can read it to be able to catch some things that maybe wasn't in the original one that you read. And so I want you to see one specific detail that's in Mark's account. Mark chapter 14, verse 9. Listen to this very important detail, um, and it's where Jesus says, I tell you the truth, wherever the good news, the gospel, is preached throughout the world this woman's deed her generosity will be remembered and discussed in other words here's what jesus says her generosity will leave a lasting legacy that this woman's generosity will leave a lasting legacy that will ripple throughout time so much so that thousands of years later in Cincinnati, Ohio in 2023 in a high school on a random Sunday in December with a bunch of people sitting in green wooden chairs are going to open up the Bible and talk about this lady and talk about her generosity and learn from it and be challenged by it. And to let that be something where God speaks to us whenever we look at this story, that her generosity can leave a lasting legacy. And here's what I want you to hear. That is what today is all about. Because if you are new here, maybe it's your very first time, I want you to know that today is one of the biggest Sundays of the year for us as a church that we get so excited about, and it's what we call Legacy Sunday, and it's a day where we're thinking about this principle. And what makes it special is that we do our only once a year offering that we do. So we do an offering where people can go here or to go here, depending on what God speaks to you. But as it's the only time that we do it collectively, because God may speak to you at different times for you to be able to give an offering. Maybe that's to a, another organization, or maybe that is to the church, or maybe it's, maybe it's, you know, to an individual that God puts on your heart. But today we have a chance to be able to say, we get to make a lasting difference together and we receive our once a year legacy offering. And what makes it special is that we give 100% of it away. We always give 10%, but today we give 100% of everything to, to things that are making a difference all around the world. In fact, these are some of our specific focuses that we have this year. And within each one is so many different things and so many different organizations. So where it says like local nonprofits, those are people that are right now on the front lines in our city that are trying to do whatever they can do to feed people that are hungry in our city and help kids that have nowhere to be find homes and and that are fighting you know, the stronghold of racism and hate and division so that impacts us. And people that are serving the, the, the homeless community in our city. And there, there's, there's so many places that we get a chance to collectively be able to go and just bless them. And I'm telling you, if you know somebody that's working in places like that, you know they're tired you know they're questioning, is what I'm doing making a difference? Seems so uphill, but we get a chance to be able to come and say on behalf of the generous people of Queen City Church, we just wanna say thank you for what you're doing. You're doing better than you think you are. You are making this city better and brighter. And we just wanna tell you, keep going. And that's just one of the many things of all the doors that God has opened for us to be generous and to be able to leave a legacy. And, um, but here, here's what I want you to get today. I just, I just don't want you to see what we're doing. I want you to know why we're doing this. I am so motivated by the why. And, I th- and I've just found that most people are. That if you buy into the why, the what makes it so much easier. And so before we end today and respond I want to remind you why we're doing this. And um, because it's so important. Here's here's my new definition of legacy. I want you to write this down and think about this. Legacy, it's a future without you that is still impacted by you. Isn't that good? That's what we're talking about today. A future without you That is still impacted by you. And I don't know about you, but I want to leave a a legacy. I don't know about you, but I want our church to leave a lasting legacy. And this is my favorite way to illustrate this principle. And if you've seen this before, tough, get over it. I don't care. I try to think of different ways and it's the best. Okay. If you're new, this is going to be great. Okay. So this is, this is my favorite way to illustrate this principle. So I I want you to imagine that this rope, that it represents time. And so this rope, it just continues to go and it goes off of this stage and it goes backstage and then it just keeps going forever. So in your imagination, just imagine this rope lasts forever. It represents time. But then this little bitty red part at the end, this actually represents your time here on earth. So in the grand scheme of eternity, our time on this earth is much smaller than what the whole grand scheme of eternity is. Now, in 2023, the average life expectancy in America is 79.11 years. That's how much this is. This represents 79.11 years. In James chapter four, verse 14, actually puts this time in great perspective where it says, what is your life? You are a mist. Another translation says a vapor. Like you're a mist that appears for a while and then it vanishes. In other words, that life is so short. And just to be very vulnerable and transparent I would say over the last six months of my life, I've become more aware of the fact that life is short. I personally have gone through some things with my family, health issues, cancer, that has just come front and center that life is short. There's people in my life who I love with all my heart who right now have family members that are struggling with their health, people in my life who have lost loved ones over the last year. And the truth is, guys, life is short. I know that we wanna do everything we can as a society to not really pay attention to that. But the truth is, life is short. That's why James says, man, what is your life? It's a mist. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. Guys, life is short. But I love what Charles Spurgeon says. Because he says, unless we purposefully live with a view to the next world, we cannot make much of our present existence. See, the good news is, is that our 79.11 years, it doesn't end. That there's way more after that. And the truth of today is that what we do with our time can ripple throughout eternity. And I want you to know the goal of legacy. The goal isn't to live on earth forever, but to leave something that does. So the question is, how can we do that? Well, the Bible says very clearly in Psalm 112, verse five and six, It says, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely and those that conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. See this, these two verses in Psalm 112, it clearly says that, oh, you want to know how to leave a legacy that outlast your time here is that we can leave a lasting legacy by how we live and by how we give that that's how we leave a lasting legacy that it's by it's by how we live our life that's why what we do matters that's why how we serve people it matters that's why how we conduct ourselves in our city it matters how we treat people that are serving us food. It matters that how we treat our coworkers and how we operate our business. It matters that if you're a teacher, that what you do, it matters that no matter what stage of life that you're in, no matter if you're a student, no matter if you're retired, if you're somewhere in between, that how we live our lives and how we treat people, it matters because it affects so much more than just us. The Bible also says that it's not just how you live that makes a difference, that leaves a legacy. It's also by how you give. That God can take your generosity and it can lead to so many people having their lives change forever. And that is what today is all about. Today isn't about money. Today's about legacy. And let me remind you, legacy. It's a future without you that is still impacted by you. If there is anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at Queen City or visit queencitypeople.com